I always knew also, something rather odd, I think, that that I wasn't being damaged by my father. And I was, I was better than him, you know. Mm. And however foul he was to me, you were not going to damage me, you know. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to give in to being damaged. That was a big theme of my childhood. Hi everyone, my name is Inherit George Carey and you're listening to Daddy Issues, a podcast dedicated to confronting fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness and successful people. I want this podcast to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you may possess, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us, and so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this topic as one that needs to be recognized, heard, and confronted. In today's episode, I am speaking to the incredible Sir Tim Waterstone. Tim is one of Britain's most celebrated business leaders, having built the Waterstones empire that he started with one small bookshop in 1982. Tim wrote a memoir, The Face Pressed Against a Window, in which he explores his formative years in a small town in rural England at the end of the Second World War, the troubled relationship he had with his father, the sexual abuse he suffered at the hands of his prep school headmaster and the life-changing epiphany he had while studying English at Cambridge University which set him on the road to Waterstones and gave birth to the creative strategy that made him a high street name and Waterstones the largest booksellers in Europe. In 2018, Tim was knighted for services to bookselling and charity. Tim, welcome to Daddy Issues and thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> so there's so much that I want to talk about and I actually first heard you talking about your father, of course, on the very recent Desert Island Discs. Yeah. You describe your first encounter that you had with your father after he'd returned from the war, which you believe played a very strong factor into why your relationship remained tainted throughout your life. So what I'd love to do is exactly what we just spoke about and go straight in and try and go as chronologically as we can and take us back to that three-year-old self and the moment that you and your father met after he came home. Well, it, it was I was just exactly three years old. It was 1942, so midway through the war. And um, I, I must have met my father as a baby, but he'd been called yeah. up very early in the war and I, 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 I had no sense of what he looked like and um, but my mother said um, your father's coming home on leave and um, effectively that was my first time I saw him and we were living um, in a small house in Crowborough in Sussex and um, it was all very happy I got a much older sister mm -hmm. and a much older brother and we had a happy how household. How much older? Sir? Well my sister was eight years older than me and right. my brother was f five effectively right. years older than me. Um, so my father's coming home. My sister and my brother knew my father, but I, mm -hmm. I didn't. Mm. And um, I, I sort of knew I should be excited, you know, so I didn't actually feel terribly excited. But I knew <laughs> yeah. my mother wanted me to be excited. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. so I sort of was excited and I drew some pictures <clears throat> to give him. 
when he arrived and the day arrived and, and my mother called out, your father's in the hall. <coughs> I said, sorry. No, dearie. He said, your father's here, he's in the hall. And I went into the little hall with my pictures and there was this very tall um, man in uniform mm-hmm. looking down at me with not an enormous amount of enthusiasm, quite frankly, but looking down at me. <laughs> and I, I handed the pictures up to give him. And then I said something, which I, every time I tell this story, I can remember exactly the scene. The hall, my mother standing, standing behind my father, my sister over there, my brother over here, mm. the dog. I imagine the whole thing. Mm. And I passed the pictures up to him, and he took the pictures. And I said to him something which was so dreadful. I said to him, go away, go away. We're happy here without you. Just go away. Mm. And my father's face fell. Um... And my mother, who'd been smiling behind my father, her face fell. And I think she hit me, and I wouldn't have blamed her if she did. But uh, I can't, you know, it was it was shatteringly awful moment. And if he'd been a stronger character, he was, he was a weak man. He right. was a very weak character man. If he'd been a man of greater character, he would have handled that easily. You know, mm. he would have smiled and said, hey, who are you? You know, pick me up and sort of... But he just couldn't. And he just pushed yeah. me away and... Um, and that was the start of a really rotten relationship. Yeah. And um, it was an odd thing because uh, was it just the generation, you know? And it wasn't yeah. just the generation because he was a very tactile man with my sister and my brother and, and much ask. with my mother. Yeah. Uh, but he just couldn't face me at all. So yeah. we went off on this history then of a very, very unhappy relationship. Yeah. yeah. And with, I mean, looking back now, as you say, I mean, you were only three years old. I mean, how are you supposed to... You you suddenly get introduced to this tall, probably quite, you know, scary-looking man who you suddenly have to hug. You're three years old. You, you react in a three... In, yes. in how a three-year-old reacts. Yes. And as you say, he he handled it incredibly personally. Incredibly badly, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you, I can imagine myself handling that, and I would have laughed, you know. I would yeah, say, yeah, yeah. You know. And, uh, but was, I, was, I was thinking, because I really thought about... Before actually, I'd heard your story um, and and your dad coming back from war and obviously you know the traumas of war, but before I'd heard that, I'd actually became very fascinated with slightly sidetracked, sidetracking here, but with the concept of fatherlessness being linked to, for example, the fact that there's been two huge world wars as well as other wars um, that have obviously impacted men and mm. masculinity and their ability to talk about their emotions and PTSD and all these hugely traumatic things that they saw and were never able to speak about, which of course must have had, which we now potentially label as being a man, but actually, is it just unresolved trauma? Anyway, anyway, Mm. I'm going off on some, I have no professional stance to go on this thing. Mm. But thinking of, have you ever thought, because he came back from, he'd just come back from war, that that what you call a weakness, quite rightly, was to do with some sort of post-traumatic stress or something. Oh, no, he had, he, he, that wasn't his war at all. Okay. He never saw active service. Oh, I see. He was okay. in the Royal Army Service Corps, which is not a competitive right, regiment. Right, right. Um, so he'd never seen any action. Oh, okay. No, no, so he'd never, yes, I would, you know, I would have understood it much more clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was, no, he was, a, you know, driving lorries and things. I mean, oh, I see, nothing, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And I don't think, incidentally, that what I said was very unusual. I think an no, awful, lot of, awful lot of children hadn't met yeah. their fathers, you know. Oh, good. Children say exactly what's on their mind. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And he's a tall, he was probably, you know, you yeah. were three years old and really small and some really tall person who's a complete stranger. Yeah. I mean, it's quite normal yeah. to say, go away. Yeah. <laughs> I had an anonymous letter sent to me a couple of weeks ago and... Um, and it's handwritten anonymous letter and the writer said um i I have to write this anonymously because um i'm head of the psychiatric division you know in one of the major london hospitals um you know so i'm just going to write right yeah 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 anonymously but um i have met that he said quite a lot over my career he said i'm only a few years younger than you and i you know that story is not not uh, is not unfamiliar to me at all and what he said in this letter was that the probable cause and i have to say i don't think it is this at all right but the probable cause is that he either thought you weren't his child or that he knew you weren't his child right because that was not uncommon when there's a second world war (laughs) or any war um i don't think that was the same case but i think i think it was just something i don't know what it was Yeah. yeah yeah And so that obviously happened, which was incredibly traumatic for both of you in in father and son relationship. Do you have any other sort of prominent memories that really stick out in your childhood to do with your father and and that relationship? Well, I was, I was sent to boarding school very young, yeah. so we didn't really meet each other all that much, I suppose. Yeah. I was at boarding school from six to 18, um, and he was in India for a period of that time too right. a couple of years two and a half years with my I mother saw but, then, um, yeah. you, you then went to India to Calcutta yes ah so that's interesting how you then went back well we've we've had family connections oh, in I India see. going back the missionaries especially going back time, you know generations mm-hmm. and, and um you know a lot of people going out to India those days yeah it's, yeah it's a, quite nice life a, <laughs> but um uh, yes but what was so the one thing children can't deal with is sarcasm. Mm-hmm. It, it's outside a child's range mm-hmm. to understand sarcasm. Um, and his approach to me was always sarcasm, sarcasm, sarcasm. If right. I said something, he'd make a sarcastic reply. Right. Uh, and shouted mostly. And that was the great feature of a childhood I particularly remember. I just couldn't handle it. Yeah. Know? Sarcasm is sort of terrible cruelty to yeah, a child. Yeah, so you know? cruel. Um, and how how did you handle it or not? Handle, what what came from? Now looking back in, on that self that you were then, what do you think sort of manifested, if you will, from from that sort of well, continuous? Well, something that did happen is that from the age of six, sort of thing, to about thirteen, I had a really severe stutter. Oh, yes, I mean, I it, one of those stutters where I remember having to plan out a sentence before I spoke it, so I got. I wouldn't start off with a vowel, for example. Right, yeah, you know. yeah. I had to plan it before I spoke. Um, I'm sure that came from that yeah. experience. And um, but when I got to about 13 and I went to uh, my uh, secondary school, um, it started just disappeared. You know, right. so there must some, something of that must have arisen from that. Yeah, yeah. But I think as a, what it, the real effect it had on me in adulthood was, um, I think it gave me the most enormous desire, you know, to. Yeah to achieve yes um, and i want to get there okay but before i do yeah <laughs> that's also the other premise of the podcast yeah. but before i do i would love to know more just about the big early years of your life and and that relationship with your father and and your family so with for example your mother she was loving and and 
dating. Well, she was quite a flawed woman in many ways, right. but she was enormously affectionate to me. And yeah. I think, I yeah. think probably trying to make up for my father. Yes, because I was going to say, how do you think she coped with seeing that relationship, especially if it was different between your older siblings and your father yes. and, and you? Um, she always backed my father. Right. So she never. She should have rescued me from that sort of thing. She never corrected my father, although she certainly should have done. But she didn't. Right. And in fact, um, she was a much stronger character than my my father. I mean, much stronger character than my father. Right. And I, she clearly thought her main role in life was to shield my father from a world which was he was very ill-equipped to deal. He was he was yeah. a weak man. He depended totally on my mother. Right. And um, so she was. But I mean, it just she, when I say she's very affectionate, she was a very, very tactile woman generally. You know, she'd suddenly mm. pick you up and give you a hug and right. put you down again. She, she was very natural, yeah, yeah. and that I loved. You know, yeah. my daughter actually. Yeah, but I mean, you that, need that as a child. Um, that was important. Yeah. But boarding school at six was very tough. I mean, that was oh god, you know, I bet. Especially not unusual then. in those days. Yeah, it, no, yeah, exactly. No, but, so. I actually I recently spoke to a psychotherapist who said that she deals with, um, I guess the generation between sort of 60, 70, mm. 50, 60, 70, and most of her clients are actually men who went to boarding school who um, talk about that trauma. <laughs> yeah. And it really being a trauma, you know, that yeah. the way that, that they were sent off so young, so confusing and, or so confused, and I guess the way that also schools managed children back then, which again I want to get to, of course, with yes. you. Um, but... Something you just said made me think about, uh, what was it? Oh, yes. So your mum and, and your dad, their relationship. So that was a loving, sort of strong relationship. Um, it wasn't a terribly, terribly healthy relationship, actually. It was an right. imbalance between them. Um, yeah. But, uh, yes, I mean, my mother was very good with my father. She put up the hell of a lot from him. Yeah. And she was very good with him. But um, and why do you it think... wasn't it wasn't a particularly good marriage? I don't think because there was an yeah. imbalance between them in character and, right. and, and in the sort of strengths was yeah. totally yeah imbalanced. Kilter, you know. But why? What was your dad's history? Why do you think he was the way that he was? Was that my dad's history? Yeah. What was his? Um, I, I never. Well, I, 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 I think he probably had quite a difficult childhood. I don't really know the detail. We never talked about his family very much. Yeah. We didn't. But I did know his, my grandfather, his father, and my grandmother, um, because when they were in India, I used to go and stay in their house occasionally, Dunbar. And he was an absolutely terrifying man. He was, you know, absolutely what, terrifying. Grandfather? My grandfather, yeah. Oh, really? He was one of those filthy, terrible old Scot, you know, lying in bed. <laughs> he took, took to his bed on retirement for no particular medical reason. He just went to bed and he stayed there. <laughs> oh, and, and he had a walking stick, which he used to have beside him on the bed. And if he could hear his wife, my grandmother, or any talking downstairs, he would bang on the floor like this. Yeah, he was yeah. absolutely filthy tempered. And my grandmother was um, a very uh, pleasant woman, really, but she was, I don't think she could do love or warmth at all. I mean, but she, that was, she was very strict and very, but not at all an unpleasant woman, but yeah. very, very strict. And I, I think possibly my father had a tough childhood, but I don't know that. I don't yeah, know Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a grammar school boy. He's brought up in, um, there was, Partly in Glasgow and, and mostly in Newcastle. Where uh -huh. But um, I, he never spoke about his childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... That's interesting that he never spoke about his childhood. He never did, no. Yeah. yeah. Not one memory of... No, nothing, nothing, nothing. No. 
And were you? Did you feel close to your grandparents when you visited them? Was there a connection there? Was I close? Yes. Yeah, so when no, you when no, you visited, no, I used to stay there in their house. And, right. Um, I mean, I was perfectly happy there, but you know, there was no real yeah. affection at all. You know? Yeah. Um, and would your sorry? I'm so I'm dwelling so much on the on the childhood, but it's it's just because I do find it so fascinating to try and connect all the dots. And but with your siblings who were a bit older than you, and I'm sure probably did they dote on you quite a lot because mm. if you're the baby the baby brother. Mm. Um, my sister and I always had a very good relationship. I mean, she was so much older than me. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, um, and, and in, in adulthood, I was very close. Um, reasonably good relationship with my brother, elder brother, but he was always at the same school and eventually I jumped the same college at Cambridge. And also. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We were... In, uh, Never great friends, but you know, it's right. perfectly okay. They loved each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. So tell me about your school years. It's nineteen forty six. Nineteen forty six when I went there. Yeah, and um, nineteen forty just after the war, and and um, it was a the whole country was littered with these terrible prep schools, which were therefore mm. uh, cheap prep schools, some very good ones, but the cheap ones, but sort of the one I went to, yep. um, were there for colonial children. I mean, it was very much colonial days, and there were, you know, an awful lot of kids were being dropped into prep schools at my sort of age. Yeah. And a lot of them were absolutely terrible schools, and that was an absolutely terrible school. And what do you mean by terrible school? Oh, Disgracefully uncomfortable. Right. Um, terrible food, rotten teaching. Right. You know, just, just awful. And like sort of terrible sort of relationships within the school. You know, everyone probably not as friendly as they could be. Or, or... Yes, I mean, little boys do institutionalise very easily, actually, much more yeah. so than girls, I think. Right, yeah. And uh, you, you, we were all in the same boat, really. You know, parents yeah. in Africa or India, in my case, and, yeah. and all over the place. And we were all being dropped in this in that particular school. But it really was an absolutely terrible place. So your parents had moved to India at this point? Well, my father had been... He'd been he was a tea planter uh, yes, by, by profession. Yes, yeah. And... Um, they wanted him to go back. He, he worked for a Glasgow firm called James Finley, and they wanted him to go back for one final two and a half years in India in the Calcutta office, mm-hmm. and and then they would give him a departmental job in England. And my mother thought she would go with him. Mm-hmm. Which is quite a strange decision in a way because she had three children. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway, she did. She wanted to go with him, so right, she decided to go yeah. with him. And um, she said. You know, I won't be just two and a half years. It's nothing but two and a half years to a six-year-old child. It's like you know, eternity, Forever. and you yeah. can't sort of imagine what two and a half <laughs> yeah. years is. Like. And I always remember going down to see my mother off and my father off, of course, from Tilbury downstream mm-hmm. from Essex and, and on the boat, and it's just a Dickensian scene of mist coming off the river, and my mother <laughs> on the uh, stern or the Stern of the boat, waving as as the as the boat drew off into the into the mist of the River Thames. Yeah, my mother waving to me, and my mother and my sister and brother must have been there with me, but I can't remember them. Be- well, yeah, I remember yeah, being yeah. standing by myself and waving. So my mother disappeared off into the mist. Oh. Well, that scene was being reenacted, honestly, the tens of thousands of times all over the country. Yeah, with yeah. Small children being left and parents going off. God, yeah. that must have been so dramatic. It, it, was, it was. It was. You know, and um, from from I went straight to. School that afternoon, and um, yeah, uh, you mentioned the sexual abuse. I mean, the sexual abuse was incredible. I made the most terrible mistake um, 
a few years ago, and I was interviewed by the Times Educational Supplement. Yes. And I wasn't used to talking about it. You know, yeah, So it was yeah. almost the first time I'd been asked. Yeah. And the whole point of the interview was to talk about education in those days of the mm. children, you know, of colonial families. And um, I mentioned this abuse for the first time, actually, to this nice Times Educational Supplement journalist. And I sort of, sort of ridiculously, you know, oh, it didn't do me any harm or sort of things. Sort of. And I knew I was sounding so phony when I said it. But yeah, anyway, I yeah. did it. And when the Times Educational Supplement interview was published, she just followed exactly what I said. And I yep. thought it looked absolutely ghastly up there. I thought maybe nobody would read the Times Educational Supplement. I'd be all right. Yeah. Well, about um, a week later, I had a f- letter forwarded on to me from the Times Educational Supplement um, from what turned out to be the widow of somebody who was at that school, who had been at school just a couple of years after me. And she said, how dare you talk like that about that dreadful school? It ruined my husband's life. He was a distinguished academic, but he haunted by the memories of that school and the abuse of it. Oh, and a year, 10 years ago, he killed himself. Oh, wow. And how dare you do that? You know, you may have yeah. come out of that unscarred, but most children don't, don't and didn't. Um, and um, I had three or four other letters, but none, none of them as tragic as that, but all of them critical of me. Yeah. So... Um, it, How did that feel when, when you... Well, I, I felt very guilty, actually. I felt so idiotic because yeah. I, I sort of, you know, what I'd said to the Times Educational Supplement sounded like you know, some golf club. You know, it was just yeah. dreadful. Uh, yeah. I, and I don't think I was damaged by it, but it was very extreme. Yes. And... Um, it was interesting that you, know, you mentioned Desert Island Disc. And I had a next day, I had a long email come in uh, from somebody who'd emailed my publisher, forwarded on the email to me. And it was from a very well known, I'm careful not to use his name, very well known London lawyer, an right. absolutely really prominent London lawyer. And he said, I was at that school uh, about 10 years after you, and what you said. Um, which you wrote in the book, and I read your book, and I, and I had absolutely that experience. And all I can say is, you know, I've hidden it, but I was profoundly damaged myself wow. all my life. And wow. I'm 70 now, whatever he said he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm profoundly damaged. God, I, I just don't think I was. How, how do you think? I mean, I might have a theory in my head that I've just thought of, but how do you think that you weren't damaged from that? I don't know. Exactly yeah. what my wife was asking me last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and it was with the headmaster himself? Yes. And, yeah. and anyone else, or just him? Well, as far as I was concerned, just the headmaster, yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, and but it's, it, it was very perverse. It wasn't just... And was of, it sort of... Yeah. You've read it in the book. Really. No, no haven't. I haven't. Well, it was, it, was, it was very perverse. Right. And, um, yeah. And, um, sort of more than just looking? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. Yes. <laughs> um, and you were... What? And pretty creepy. Um, yeah. Mm. And you were... Was the headmaster married? Not that it makes a difference, but was he married to... Yes. You know, yeah. Did he have children? And I think his wife knew that he was children. Right. Thing. I was going to say, was it a well... Yeah. Do you think it was a well-known thing amongst... I, I think it was, it was something going on between them, I think. Wow. Okay. I don't... I, I can just try, try and frame this delicately, but it, we all knew in the school when trouble was looming. So he used to walk around with a prominent erection sticking in his oh, trousers God, and his horrible. and we always knew one of us was going to be called up to study that really? which was of course of what happened and then 
And, and did you... I, I, it, it, to me, it was inconceivable that his wife wouldn't have known too because she was always around the place, always around the school, yeah. you know. And really, one of those ghastly, you know... This, these are boys aged 5 to, to 15, 16? To 13. And did you boys ever speak about it amongst yourselves? Was there yeah, any... Yeah, yeah. And what was that? But, said? you know, the extraordinary thing was... Um, uh, some one of the boys must have told his parents, or some, some, some must have got out, because we the school was suddenly descended on by some inspectors from Department of Education, God, and who'd obviously been, and they questioned us all individually, yeah, and we all lied. Wow, the whole school lied, not to admit it. Yeah, because their, their style of interviewing was appalling, they were very yeah. aggressive, and yeah. well, small children, yeah, yeah. and um. Interrogation. We all lied, you know, trying to protect the school, really, yeah. you know. And do you remember, were you told to lie, or was this just an in, an instinct? I mean, just terrifying men coming down, and uh, we just... Terrifying uh, men on, on, say, on both sides. Yes, and um, we all lied, yeah. And, of course, once the first person said, I didn't tell, you know, I wasn't going to tell them, and we all weren't going to tell yeah, them. Yeah, so you, you know. knew it was wrong. You knew that we, what was oh, happening was yes, wrong. Yes, yes, although... Uh, Oh, absolutely, it was unmistakably wrong. What yeah. I would say is that in those days, um, children knew very little about sex, actually. I mean, yeah. now children know everything about sex, but in those yeah. days, you just didn't, actually. Mm. And um, But it was clearly unpleasantly wrong. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. I mean, he may have been a dreadful man, but this was our school. You yes, know, we yes, We weren't going exactly. to sneak on the school. You know? Yeah, yeah, the sort of loyalty. Yes. Thing. It was a very strange form of abuse. He he did it as if it was some sort of game. Right. Um and it was very, very graphic, but it, it was sort of turned into... And then afterwards, he would be sort of very jolly and, you know... Yeah, yeah, well, You yeah. must rush down for your tea, you know, very sort of jolly and right, smiley. Right. And, and that, as I did say in the book, to, looking back at it, that to me was the most evil thing of all, actually, yep. was the... Yep. You know. So going on to talking, as you said 10 minutes ago, about how the relationship with your father actually, in the end, really, really gave you a huge desire to achieve yes before i get that i can tell a little anecdote um when i reached um adulthood i really didn't see him my mother died when she was 60 uh only 60 and um he married again and um one day i picked up the telephone on a saturday morning and it was my father on the phone and he never ever called me except quite a lot to borrow money but he'd never right. we never called me right. except for money um um <clears throat> but he said with a very friendly voice it's such a lovely day why don't we all have a family picnic on putney i used to live in putney in those days on, on putney heath and um, it was unheard of and i said yes yeah, well, well, yeah you know to yeah. drive on up yeah. so he came up and i two i had so many children but two of them were babies at that point and we sat on the rug on Putney Heath and um, and then my then wife took the two children off to play somewhere and I was talking to him on the rug with his wife whom I had barely met right and um, she was an Australian widow and I thought rather nice but I'd never met her and I could see that she'd set it up she'd obviously said right. to him you know you've got to sort this relationship out and so he was trying. He was trying to talk to me. Right. I was then 33 or something like that. He's he trying to talk to me. I mean, it's the first time ever, 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 
all those 33 years of my life. Yeah. And we talked, and a bit, little bit forced, but we talked. Yeah. And I tried to reach out back at him, and mm. I thought maybe we could make something of this. Uh, but I never saw him again, because a week later he died. He, had, he could have not have known he was dying. He had suddenly had an embolism, you know, a birth artery and everything. Yeah. And, um, oh, my God. So it's a, oh, uh, Gosh, so, what a... That's how does that sit with you now? With well, I don't. I mean, I don't know where everybody else was. My sister was in Canada at that point, but I seem to be the only person. I went to the mortuary to identify him, and yeah. um, I sat with him for a bit, and um, and I tried to touch him. I never touched him. He wouldn't touch me as a child. He wouldn't ever ever touch me. Right. And he would if, uh, passed him in the passage where he would push himself back against the wall so our bodies didn't. Brushing yeah, against yeah. each other. My God. But I tried to hold his hand, he was dead, and I just couldn't stand it actually. No, so I no. just didn't do that. And I looked at him, I just can't. I just I felt I I felt a mixture of anger, actually. Mm, mm, and surprised. a feeling that I've never loved you, you know. Um, yeah. I would have liked to have loved you, probably you'd like to have loved me, I don't know, but uh, Yeah. But, but we um I forgot what your question is now, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is I'm gonna go let's carry on talking about this. But with that what did you... Do you remember what you spoke about during that picnic? Do you remember the conversation? What I thought had? about... Do you remember what you spoke about during the picnic? No, trivia. Trivia. A sort of how's trivia. it going? But yes, I mean, just total trivia about nothing at all. But it was the only time he'd ever Sp- sprung tried out. to have family conversation with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Extraordinary. And was that, did that sort of... After, the, after that encounter, did, were you sort of a bit thrown? What was the... No, I, I was... I didn't totally welcome it, actually, because I felt this was artificial and shit. It was his wife who was egging him on, right. which is you know, good for her, you know. Yeah, yeah. 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 And um, I, I was suspicious, but I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe I ought to try now to, you know, to encourage him to. Yeah. You know. But as I say, a week later he's dead, so. No, yeah. yeah. And but at this point, age 33, mm. you hadn't started Waterstones? Oh, no. No, no, Waterstones no. You was... were working at WH Smith. Yeah. Yes. And Waterstones was still four or five years away. Yeah. So he never saw your sort of huge success. He no, ne- he didn't. Ne- yeah. No. But with that, which is very interesting, although actually I still sort of want to stay on that moment that you had. Mm. Okay, actually, I'm going to go back. The moment with your father when you were identifying his body. How sort of ironic, that whole thing that you it was, yeah. had to then go and identify. I his. felt slightly guilty because I thought, you know, I'm the last person that he... you want me to be <laughs> with you. At, yeah. you know. But I also think that that's almost you having the last laugh. In a way. <laughs> yeah. But also a, a sort of incredibly, I don't know, did that give you any closure? The fact that you, the last encounter you had with your dad was him reaching out for whatever reason, regardless of his wife being the one to spare it on, you know, he probably wouldn't do something if he didn't want to do it. Yes. Was that some sort of closure in some way with, with everything? Or how do you think that made you feel? Um, I think it left me feeling quite bitter in a way. I mean... Mm. He had no money at all, really. I'm criticising him for that. At the no, least. no, no, but, yeah, yeah. But um, he didn't have any, and there was nothing in his will. But there was a little bit in his will, and um, he had left what he did have to my sister and brother, and I was not in the will at all. Oh my god! I thought I mean, he could have left me a tray or something, you know, yeah, or, or a yeah, watch or, or a something. Spoon. Yeah, you know, anything. <laughs> yeah. To, um, so, you write in your memoir. Without the trauma of that relationship, being your father, I truly believe I would never have broken out 
and fought the battles I did to create and succeed with Waterstones. That wasn't just for me, it was for my father too. Waterstones was ha me having the last word. Why else would I have named it after me? And of course, it was named after my father as well. I was hurling bottles at my childhood, which I could neither forgive nor forget. Mm. So Waterstones, as you say, happened five years or so after your dad's death. Mm. What was that? You incredibly sort of identified that drive to mm. be related to that mm. father. I, I was absolutely certain that Waterstones was going to work. Yeah, I'm absolutely certain. I mean, I, quite unrealistically, because you know, no, that's I think how things that, do work. We started with absolutely nothing, but I just knew we were onto something marvelous. Yeah, and um, and my father was in my mind. You yeah, know, I was sort of knowing it. After all those years of that incessant shouted sarcasm, and you know, and sort of making you feel like you weren't good enough. Yes. Yeah. Just that. And I knew I was good enough. I knew I was better than him. It just fed me an intense desire to really yeah. do something. I, I wasn't, I couldn't stand corporate life, you know. I kept on having babies all the time, so I sort of earned money. <laughs> yeah. I loathed it. The moment I was fired, they thought I wasn't a team player, which is quite <laughs> fairly accurate, I think. Yeah. And a sort of wave of happiness came over me. Yeah. So I thought, I said, it's not your decision anymore, mate. You know, it's been made for you. Now yeah, yeah. you can do it. Exactly. You know? and, um, a real sort of passion. Yeah, and yeah. a flash of happiness, you know, yeah. that I could have God, like a release. Yes. A real liberation. Yes. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. And with that, yeah, with with the sort of drive that you got with Waterstones, your father, as I as we've established, had died at this point. So I guess my question is because I think a lot of people unconsciously strive for success, not realising it's to do with this need to prove. What were the things that came into your head about, did you hear his voice? Was it this kind of, you won't be able to make, you won't make this happen, da-da-da-da-da? What was yeah. it? I always, I mean, it sounds very conceited remark, but I always um, I knew that I was capable. And, and even as a child? Even as a child, Right. Yeah. And but I that's, always knew that's I was amazing that you had that and, inner strength. Um, I always knew also something rather odd, I think, that that I wasn't being damaged by my father. And yeah. I, was, I was better than him, you know. Mm. And however foul he was to me, you were not going to damage me. You know, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. going to give in to being damaged. That was yeah. a big theme of mine. Generally. Really? And, and um, this was all your inner, inner, inner realisation? You never spoke about this with anyone else? No. Wow! Yeah, gosh, a real my sister. She, my sister didn't, and I really love my sister, but she, she, uh, right at the very end um, of her life, um, she died three years ago, four years ago. Um, she phoned me one night from Canada, and she said, um, said something very nice to me, and. Um, she actually was killing herself because she had Parkinson's disease right. and she'd actually given up her medication. She was a doctor, so she knew what she was doing. She yes. dropped her medication. She had had enough of Parkinson's disease. Yeah. And, but what she was trying to say was goodbye to me. Right. And um, when I went out to bury her in Canada uh, the following week, her husband, who's also a doctor, said to me that no, what Wendy actually wanted to say, I, I was. She said I was in the room when he listening to her when he, she called you. She wanted to say goodbye, but not say the reason of saying goodbye. Right, yeah. But she also wanted to say to you that she knew she should have done more to rescue you from your father. Oh, wow. And um, looking back, she kicked herself for not doing more. She could have done more. Yep. Um, 
So that was an interesting yeah. code to the whole thing yeah. as well. How yeah. did that make you feel when you heard that? Um, I was rather moved because mm. um, I understood why she didn't. I mean, she, you know, she... Yeah. yeah. But... Um, and was, was but her relationship with your with your father was good but, but well again it was it was it, it, it was quite an unhealthy relationship so I said in a sense I mean my sister's a very strong and yeah yeah intelligent my father yeah. was no, neither of those two things yeah and, yeah um, so she she was he, he was very very tactile with her and she actually didn't like it much you know right okay so, yeah I mean, she did it but you know she so thought be like, for oh, god's sake you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah and Gosh, that was so moving what you just said. So I really felt normally if I'm interviewing someone, I'm sort of just. But then I was like, oh my god, mm -hmm. to hear that from your sister years later must have been from her because yeah. she, she was not given at all to the "I love you" tip. She said, and yeah. I said, well, "I love you, Wendy." You know, but um, I hadn't realised what she was doing. Um, but she wasn't a woman given to enormous expressions of affection. Mm. Um, when I she had lovely children and they're all very grown up now but one of them said to me when I went out to bury her you know she always she, she's so affectionate with you and she was affectionate with her, her children but not particularly you know she, yeah. so she yeah so that was a real a really big moment for her to be able to open up about yeah 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 yeah. and so when I now get to you being a father because yeah. you are a father of eight children yeah. I'm one of five, and that's enough. <laughs> so oh. one of eight must be a real like a like that's a I don't know is that a is that a team like a football team? Well, no, what, what happened is I married very very young, right? And um, we had three children in rapid succession, and then broke up. Um, <laughs> I thought you said in rapid succession. I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and there was there were three delicious children, and, and the marriage did break up very early. Um, I then, um, after a pause, I married again, uh, another very nice person indeed, and three more children. One of them was adopted, actually, but right. two natural birth and one adopted. So that was another three, and then that relationship broke up after 15 years. Mm. And then after another gap, I married again, and then had two more. Yes. So it's a continual process. But I, I've absolutely loved having children. Yeah. Um, I've loved having children. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I really wanted to know... Because obviously, after your probably your fifth, you're you, you know you kind of know what it's like to be a dad, yeah. but because your relationship with your father and and yeah. really not having that figure, and then of course you then go to school and and the older man again you know abusing mm. you in some way. Mm. With your firstborn, who is also a son, so Richard, I believe. Mm. What was it like for you to have? I wonder if you had any fears. The moment I looked at Richard, I just completely fell in love with him. You know? Yeah. And all my children, I just found it the easiest thing possible. Yeah. And I don't want to sort of keep on presenting myself as a brilliant father, so God knows I hadn't had stable <laughs> enough life you yeah, know, to yeah. be the perfect father. A very long way. But um, I just find it completely easy with children. I yeah. really do. I find it absolutely simple. So you, you know? being a father, even though you didn't have that example, was just absolutely natural. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Richard. Richard has been is an amazing sort of head of the of head the of the team, you know, <laughs> and organising endless parties and everybody keeps church. It's been it's been very successful and yeah, I loved. It. I mean, having Lucy and then Daisy. Lucy appeared when I was um, fifty. Um, 
54, and Daisy appeared when I was 56. And mm. so they were particularly a treasure because I didn't, you know, I thought I'd stopped having children, but no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah nice surprises at the mm. end. <laughs> um, so you also, we've touched obviously your father not being very affectionate and you having, you wrote in your memoir that you used to see other children laughing with their fathers and being picked up, swung about, pushed on swings, kicking a football, carried on shoulders. Mm. I just wanted that for us too. But in all the years of my childhood, did he as much as touch me nor give me any praise? Nor, if it comes to that, did he in my adulthood? And there was something that you wrote about the relationship with your father. And I don't know if you've already touched on this, so tell me if you think you're repeating yourself. But the relationship with your father that still remains with you. So I wanted to know what that was that you meant that you, that relationship with your father still remains that with you. remains with me yes you, the, yeah. the damaged relationship with your father still remains with you don't worry if, if it doesn't yes make i mean sense I, to you. I did find writing this memoir um yeah uh, yeah also why did you write the memoir you know? yeah I, mean, I did find it incredibly painful because in fact i had buried a lot of it yeah um but i remember alan bennett once saying that um when he wrote his first of his memoirs, he said, extraordinary thing is the more I wrote, the more I remembered. You know? mm, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you sort of unlock. Yeah, and I, 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 once I realised what was happening, that I was just, I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote as fast as I could on a laptop, mm. you know, just let it all come out and then I'd remember something else. Yeah. And I, I clearly buried a lot of that stuff about my father. I, I knew it, it, you know, it happened, but yeah. actually writing about it, it all came out, particularly the scene in the mortuary, which is actually the first thing I wrote. Right. That was, the, it appears, you know, yeah, in yeah, chapter four or something, but that's how the thing started, was God. writing that scene. How symbolic that it started at the end. I cried my eyes out. Yeah. You know, I'd just forgotten it. It was, I remember the mortuary attendant pretending to read a newspaper, so, you know. Yeah. And then, um, do you remember what, when you were writing, do you remember what you were crying for? What I what you felt you were crying for? What were, what were the tears? I oh, just the memory. I think of yeah. of of, um, of how bad that relationship, the cruelty of that relationship. You know? Yeah, I don't mean physical cruelty. You never touched. No, no, me, but no. emotionally. But the, yeah, emotionally. And uh, and what made you what made you decide to? Because it's an. Inc I mean, this is obviously what this podcast is about. It's opening up about this incredibly important subject and listening to people's personal stories of struggle and then triumph. Actually, because. You know, then mm. people go on and achieve great things. But what spurred you on, I guess, to open up in such a public way and in such a hugely well, honest way? It started way? off in this way. Um, it's on my 76th birthday. I'm 80. And it's on my 76th birthday. And um, I woke up and I thought, you know, I really, I would like to get the Waterstone story down before it's lost, you know, mm, mm. De decades go on. <laughs> yeah. So I do that, but I, and, and so, um, but before I get there, I didn't want to write two books. One, I'm going to have to do the childhood, so I've got to do the childhood. Yeah. And the moment I started, that all this thing came out oh, again, the, the, yes. the abuse and everything else, the whole just flooded into it. And I did find it very, very painful to write. Yeah. But at the same time, I did find it, quite exhilarating yeah i mean you know to Hugely actually get cathartic. it all out of my mind yeah uh, yeah and, and did you ever uh, opened up about anything to any anyone well I, I had if you had a bit of therapy a few years ago mm -hmm. and um which i found very helpful i love therapy um <laughs> he's, he's very good yeah 
and then I did a bit more with a, somebody else. Um, but it didn't quite open me up. You know. Right, yeah. Uh, what opened me up was writing this <laughs> This memoir. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, then I'm you're very, completely uh, on your own, aren't you, when you write a memoir? Sorry? You're completely on your own, so you have no... Also, it's not an autobiography, which is an important point to make, because yeah. a memoir is very selective. Yeah. You know. Autobiography is a sort of attempt at a historical record, whereas a, a yeah. memoir is just deeply personal. You write about what you want to write about, you know. Yeah, you yeah, list yeah. bits out which are not interesting to you. you know? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm very glad I've done it. Yeah. And the last question I ask, which I ask all my guests, so I apologise if you haven't listened to an episode, I'm springing this on you. But if your father was listening to this episode right now, what would you want to say to him? If my father was here now, what would I want to say to him? I wouldn't say anything at all. I wouldn't say, yeah, yeah, I told you, no, I told you, sir. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. I would look at him and just think, you know, why the hell did you, you know? Yeah. But I wouldn't get into a... That'd be partly protective of him because he was not articulate, really. Right. And um, I would have felt I was bullying him, actually, I think. Mm yeah. Oh, well, thank you so oh, much, you Sir Tim much. Waterstone. You've been an absolute joy to interview. And that Have you got enough, hour you? went by. I mean, I could stay here for another <laughs> couple of hours. You've got enough to. Yes, yes, absolutely. Enough, yes. Great. Thank you so Not much. Not at all. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to that unbelievable episode with Sir Tim Waterstone. To speak to someone who was so hugely compelling and honest was an absolute privilege. There is no age where that where there's a cap for, you know, being able to have that cathartic moment and being able to express stuff which you've never really addressed. And I just want to thank Tim for coming and giving me the time to talk today. And thank you all so much for listening. As always, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us via our website, www.thedaddyissuespodcast.com. A special thanks goes out to Warren at Walkie Productions, who did all my sound, and Aaron and Ben at Interface, who did my website and graphic design. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify to stay tuned with new episodes and, of course, spread the Daddy Issues message. Have a lovely rest of your day and thank you once again for listening. Listening.